Good morning. Okay, well, look, I, um, I want to read a passage from the Gospel of John with you today. And uh, just before I do that, I just have got a few things to say about it because this passage that we're going to read is picking up at a very dramatic time in the life of Jesus. Uh, it is literally just hours before he's about to be arrested and then he's going to be tried and then we know he's going to be crucified. And we know that the cross is coming because we've read the book. And uh, the disciples, bless them, don't seem to have a clue what's going on. They're quite happy to nod off, it seems. But Jesus does know what is going on. And it's a time when you can feel the pressure is beginning to rise. If this was a movie, at, at, in chapter 12 of John, that's where the, that music, you know they have that music, don't they, when the anticipation music starts to kick in. Has anyone ever seen uh, Dunkirk, the film? Good film, isn't it? They have this extraordinary music that just builds a sense of anticipation and kind of, oh, it's coming, it's coming. I want to say to you, this is the time when that music would have begun if this was a film in the life of Jesus. Chapter 12. And um, <clears throat> we, he begins to say things like this. He says, he says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. We see this kind of internal debate going on with Jesus and wrestle. He knows the cross is coming. The cross, the apex of human history, is literally hours away. He's on the doorstep of it. And we feel the pressure on Jesus. You can sense through the things he is saying that music is definitely beginning to play. Then he, in a little while he says, the light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, believe in the light. And we know then they have this a Passover meal together, don't they, in that upper room. And then immediately after that, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. And it, some versions describe him as being in agony of soul. Absolute agony we see even one uh, gospel says he begins to sweat blood. Now that's a, a known medical condition. Uh, and uh, apparently what happens, it, it only happens to people when they are under intense emotional pressure. And what can happen apparently, I was reading about it, there are little blood capillaries that can burst and they're quite near the sweat glands so that when you sweat, it looks like you're sweating blood. But it, it's known, it only happens when you are under intense emotional pressure. The cross is just around the corner. We understand why Jesus is under tremendous pressure. The history of mankind rests on what he is about to do. And he's nearly there. But he doesn't want the pain of it. We see this sense of, I, I, Father, can I get round this? No, you can't, and I've got to go. So we see this intense pressure beginning to rise. And time is short, and I think Jesus knows time is now short with his disciples for him to be in the body with them as a group of 12. There's only a little bit longer. And uh, uh, what you see between the, the chapters 12 to 17 is this extraordinary pressurized environment. I don't know if some of you cook, um, you know, you reduce a stock or a sauce. 
And the more you reduce it, the stronger the flavor gets. Well, we're right down to the kind of last bits of it, the the intense flavors now we see between chapters uh, 12 and 17. And and in this pressure cooker environment, you see some big themes begin to emerge as Jesus begins to talk. He's saying, guys, there are things you really need to get hold of. Really important. I must leave you with these things. I can't just go and not tell you about these things. And uh, he begins to talk about these high intense sort of um, uh, 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 issues. He, He begins, for example, to talk about these about to be betrayed. Well, that on its own is enough, to be honest. I'm about to betray. They are heartbroken, the disciples. Not all of them, but most of them. Yeah, and he also talks about the kind of persecution that they're going to endure. If you're my disciple, you will endure intense persecution. You're coming a time, guys, when you will be dragged before councils and synagogues. And actually, people will begin to think they're doing God a favor if they kill you. I mean, that's, that's an intense thing to say, isn't it? Well, I think it is. Um, you know, uh, uh, and, and actually, we see that same spirit today, don't we, in, in IS? They think they're doing God a favor by blowing people up. That's a religious spirit at work. Absolutely not of God. But here he is. He's talking, telling them about persecution. He's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's another big theme that emerges in these chapters big thing the outpouring Joel 2 prophesied the spirit of God would be poured out and, and he will be in you Jesus is talking about this fulfillment of this prophecy he talks about the importance of abiding in Christ in chapters 15 you've got to abide in me God you want to be fruitful in your ministries when I am gone you need to do this you need to abide in me You've got to abide in him. It's a big subject, really important about fruitfulness going forward. He gives them a new command. Like, this isn't enough. He gives them another command. Love one another. New command I give you. Whoa. This is a lot. This is a lot. And if that wasn't enough, he then finishes in chapter 17 by praying for the unity of the church for the rest of its history. Because he sees unity is going to be under attack. So we see Jesus, the great high priest, praying for his church. Say, God, now bring unity to your church. You see what I mean? It's intense flavors, isn't it? These are big, powerful things. So there's a lot here. So I just want to kind of give you a little bit of context. We're going to read one scripture together. But there's, that's the context to what's going on. And... Uh, There's one thing I guess I'm wanting to pick out. And so I'd like to read uh, some scripture together. I'd like us to read John 13, verses 1 to 17. It's a big chunk of scripture. It'll come up on about three or four screens. But if you want to follow it in your Bibles, please do. So John 13, 1 to 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter, bless him, ignores that a very vital piece of advice <laughs> and gets himself into a muddle. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, should do, should also, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We've obviously been looking in recent months, if you've been attending this church, we've been looking at a certain theme. We've been looking at the theme of discipleship, haven't we? And we've been asking the question, what do real disciples look like? And um, uh, I, I guess I trust what you've seen is that there are actually some real red lines. There are some things that you just kind of have to do or be involved with if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, a genuine one. And uh, like you've got to be born again, haven't you? You've got to actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, you've got to believe that you started out life sinful and that uh, the work of Christ on the cross means that you can be forgiven for your sin. It's foundational. It's what it means to be a Christian. You have to open the door of your life to let him in, to be Lord, to be God. Um, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to be an effective disciple of Jesus, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're, you're going to do it all in the flesh otherwise, so you need to be filled with the power of the Spirit of God. I would suggest here's another red line. You've got to forgive. Matthew 18 makes it really clear. Uh, Jesus forgave you for your sin. Therefore, his expectation of you and me is that we will forgive. We will forgive. There's, there's no alternative. I'd like to give you another alternative, but there isn't. Jesus said in, in Matthew 18, if you don't forgive, you'll end up in a kind of emotional prison and you'll kind of end up being tortured in that place. And we know what bitter people are like. They're very twisted, aren't they? They are tortured. We're commanded directly by Jesus to love. You want to be a disciple? You've got to learn to love. You've got to learn to love. There's just no way around that. Uh, if we aren't learning to love, we're actually moving further away from Jesus, not closer to him. And also I'd say we've got to follow, haven't we? You want to be a disciple of Jesus? You've got to say, yeah, okay, I'll follow you. I'll come. They're just some of the kind of red lines of what it means to be a real disciple of Jesus. 
But I think from this passage, you can see there's another thing in there that I think we really need to look at to understand, actually, this thing is essential if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be a disciple of Jesus. It's something that Jesus refers to, and he says, you ought to do this. In fact, the message version, I was reading through that. Now, the message version, as you know, is the most laid-back version in the world, isn't it? It's kind of like street language. And even the message version translates this word as must. You must do this. You ought to do this. And uh, that's not a popular word, actually, in our culture, is it? We like options. We do, don't we? Uh, so I'd like to be able to stand here and say, well, you know, on this, you could do this or this or this. Kind of take your pick. Uh, on this, Jesus says, no, you ought to do it. Jesus makes it really clear that we need to be serving. We need to be serving. When Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, he's making it clear that the attitude of a servant is fundamental to the DNA of being a disciple of Jesus. That's what we look like. That's, if you broke a, not that I plan to do this, but if you broke a disciple open and looked inside, ooh, no, that's perhaps the wrong image, but anyway, if you did do that, figuratively, um, one of the things you would see inside, there would be a number of things, but one of the things you would see inside would be this strong ethic of service. We would be servers. So and I think Jesus makes it really, really clear. I do love this episode with Peter because he gets himself into a right old tangle here, doesn't he? Jesus says, basically be quiet because you're not going to understand that. So the first thing he does is open his mouth. <laughs> you think, bless you, Peter. That's lovely. And he gets it all wrong. And Jesus has to sort of untangle a whole load of tangle. And then by the time we have to get to 13 and 14, before Jesus, it seems to me, can really get onto the stuff he wants to do. And that's what we get to. So verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. It's clear, isn't it? And do you see what I mean by no options? There's, there's, there isn't an option. I'd love to be able to give you an option. I guess the kind of service that we take up, that's kind of up to us, isn't it, to find out what, yeah, what, how do I serve God and what do I do? But the principle of serving is just a red line. It's a red line. And also, look how strong Jesus is here. I was really struck by this during the week. Do you notice? He pulls rank. Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, because that's what I am. And then he says it again. If I then, you're, by the way, just a reminder, Lord and teacher. I can't think of another time when Jesus does this. But he is, he's basically saying, uh, remember the relationship we've got? Uh, I'm the Lord and the teacher. That makes you the servant and the student. Just, can we just get this straight? That's strong. I've washed your feet. I've served you. So guys, you need to do the same too. 
And I, I was thinking, is there a softer way of putting this? <laughs> Can I be gentler on the church, Lord, as I'm saying this? How do I? And I just thought, well, no, it's my job to pick up the spirit of the word and then to present it to you. So that's why I'm presenting it like I am, as a red line. Um, but I have been asking the question, why was Jesus so strong? Why is this such a red line for Jesus? I mean, it sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? It could come over as a bit, yeah, so get on and serve. And, and I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. And by the way, I think we're great at serving as a church. Thank you for every, everyone. The way you serve is magnificent. There's a strong attitude of service. I'm not looking to have a go at anyone. Uh, I'm just trying to reflect the word of God so that we understand what discipleship is. But I say, Lord, why are you so strong on this? Well, Mark 10 tells us this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man, the, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the one really that we should be serving came not to be served, but to serve. Now, if we're becoming disciples, what we're trying to do is understand the heart of God. Aren't we? We're trying to understand the heart of God. So what's the heart of God? It's to serve. This incredible king comes to serve. And he's saying, if you want to be like me, do what I do. Because that's my heart. I come to serve, not to lord it over people. I think that's why he's so strong. Because there's no alternative in his heart. There are no options in the heart of God. He doesn't say, well, I could serve or I might not. Or I could do this or I could do that. You know, well, I might pick and choose. No, no. The heart of God is, I love these people that I have made and I have come to serve them. It's an expression of the love of God to us. That's what's in his heart. So he's saying, yeah, you want to be like me? Then think like me. And I, I serve because I love. Now, um, I want to say something. I, I think this whole thing of serving is quite a difficult concept to grasp. Um, uh, it's interesting that when Jesus has washed their feet, what does he, does he ask them a question? What question does he ask them? He says this, do you understand what I have done for you? He has to ask them that question. Do you understand and I think it's because this concept of serving is quite hard to grasp. Guys, do you understand? So uh, let's just try and understand where the disciples are coming from. You see, the disciples see Jesus as, as, um, as the Messiah, don't they? Can everyone say the word serve? serve. Yeah, good, I'm just checking. <clears throat> um, the disciples see Jesus as Messiah, as ruler, as king. So that means they're expecting him to be a political leader and a, and a military leader. That's what they're anticipating Jesus to do. That's what the people are expecting. They want this uh, guy to be like King David, 
They want them to kick the Romans out of Israel. Get rid of the Romans. That's what they're wanting. And uh, so they, you will make Israel great as a nation. And then uh, all the other nations will come and serve Israel. So Israel would be great. That's what they're expecting Jesus to do. Be a king. So when Jesus basically takes off pretty much everything and starts to wash their feet, there is this stunned silence. I think they're stunned. Because they say, what are you doing? I think Peter summed it up. You're never going to wash my feet. Why does he say that? He says that because what he's trying to communicate is, you're not a servant, you're a king. And if you start serving me, that's wrong. It makes you lesser. No, 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 you've got to be a king. You've got to do king stuff. Whatever that is. Kings sit on thrones and be... And, that you, and this menial stuff, you have people that do that for you. People that run along and they clean your feet for you. You, you don't do the feet cleaning thing, Jesus. I think you're confused. It's what he, he can't get his head around this. It's shocking to him. You see, he, you're either upstairs or downstairs. You're either below the, you know, one of the servants or you're one of the posh people up here. And Peter can't grasp this idea that Jesus says, yeah, I am the king and I've come to serve. That is, anyone ever watched Downton Abbey? Did you like Downton Abbey? Do you remember Carson, the butler? There was a time when the guy who was the, um, the chauffeur, uh, one of the servants, marries one of the daughters. Who does he marry? Amy or Emily or, anyway, one of the daughters. <clears throat> and Carson the butler can't get his head around this because suddenly it means this guy has to live upstairs. He's gone from being downstairs to upstairs and Carson thinks, no, this is wrong. You, you can't do the two. Yeah, don't, don't do this. What's happening? And he's very confused, discombobulated for, for, for quite a while. He can't get his head around. You see, most of us think a bit like that. You're either a king, you're either upstairs, or you're downstairs. So when Jesus comes along and says, yeah, I'm both, that is a bit, but how does that work? Don't really understand that. I think for Peter as well, Seeing Jesus as a servant demeans him in his mind. And Peter doesn't want to see Jesus demeaned. And I think for many of us, the truth is, we see servanthood as a demeaning thing that will lessen us and reduce us. Because basically we are self-centered beings, most of us, as humans. Sorry if that's a bit of a shock to you, but we are pretty self-centered. We think of our needs, we think of our uh, plans, our hopes, uh, our, you know, we put that right up there. And the fact that we will suddenly start to serve someone else, well, so what happens to my needs then? It's a kind of a confusing uh, arrangement. But Jesus has come along and he's absolutely turned everything on its head by telling others to serve him. In fact, Jesus says this, 
to his disciples, if you want to be great, start serving. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, start serving. Uh, Just a couple of other quick things to say here as well. I think one of the mistakes that Christians have made over the years with service is that we begin to start to say this. We begin to start to say, okay, I'm a servant, so everyone else's needs are more important than mine. As, as probably some of us have fallen into that uh, a little pit. Yes, yeah, so um, uh, their, their needs matter, mine don't. Uh, I become a kind of like a doormat that people can walk on uh, because their needs are more important. I, I've got to say to you, that's a mistake. What does the word of God say? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, love you, love you well, your needs remain important, but love others to the same level. It's not saying their needs are important, yours aren't. No, you, you love, you have an interest in your own needs, in your own heart, in your own, you, you are important, but it just means bring others up. Treat their needs as importantly as you would treat yours and not say, my needs are irrelevant. So it's just a pit, I think, that we have fallen into. You see, we are royal sons and daughters. You are friends of God that serve. You are not servants that serve. Can I say that again? You are royal sons and daughters and friends of God that serve. You are not servants that serve. Servants don't know their master's business. Servants are gophers. The master would say, I'm not telling you why, but just go and do that. That is not how God treats us. God loves us. Jesus was very clear to his disciples, wasn't he? He said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. So there's been a promotion. You are, that is not your identity as Christians. That's exactly like him. Son of God came to serve. He is position. His position is royal, but he serves. That's what he's looking for from us. Um, I think uh, there's another point here I want to touch on as well, is that we don't move on beyond serving. We don't get so spiritual that suddenly we stop having to serve. Uh, So Jesus says this. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, he's saying, I am the son of God, and I have set this example for service. And that doesn't change. You know, when you get more spiritually advanced, and people, because people are going to start to look to his disciples, they're going to start leading huge movements. Thousands of people will look to them. They will pray for the sick and see them miraculously healed. They're going to be big guys. Yet God says, this culture of service never changes. When you, when you get famous, don't think it changes, because it doesn't. 
I also want to say this to you as well. Serving has eternal significance. It has eternal significance. One day, all of us will stand before God and he will judge us. Now, uh, this day of judgment is going to be different for different people. We know that for unbelievers, the day of judgment is going to be appalling. It will be appalling. We, we know that's going to be the case. Um, uh, so I'm not going to dwell on that. But, but <clears throat> the day of judgment for believers will come. You and I will be judged. But we will not be judged on our sin, the stuff that we've done wrong. That's already been done. Jesus has taken the, the, the penalty for that. Your eternal security is not under threat now. Once saved, always saved. You are heaven bound, I believe, once you're truly born again. No, but you will have a judgment that will happen. And we know from 1 Corinthians 3, what's going to happen is that your works will be judged. In other words, the outcome of your serving will be judged. And Paul talks about it like this. He says, uh, there's going to be like a, a, a testing of fire. Your works are going to be tested by fire. I don't know what kind of fire this is going to be, but there's going to be a, they're going to be burnt up. And then we're going to find out whether they are hay, wood, and stubble, or whether they are gold and silver and precious jewels. There's going to be a testing of our serving, of our works. And uh, the Bible's clear. It says there are going to be rewards then handed out on the basis of what remains. Gold, silver, precious jewels. And actually, all those little things that you've done out of a pure heart, he's going to reward. All those things that you've just done, no one else has seen, he's going to say, well done. Well done. He even said, if you give a cup of cold water to one of these in my name, you will not fail to receive your reward these little things God will uh, reward you for which is good news it's really good news it, it does also say that those uh, for whom there is nothing remaining it says you will escape but as through fire well I like the escaping bit but the through fire bit doesn't sound so good to me I don't know what that means but it's not uh, something I would advise don't go there no, it's normal for Christians to produce service. It's normal for Christians to serve God. Final comment. <clears throat> On this scripture here, Jesus says this, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In other words, we have an option. We have an option. You can serve or not. We do have an option. You can serve or not. I just want to say, it also says, if you serve, serving is a place of blessing. It's a great blessing. How many have found when you've served somebody, it's quite really rewarding for you? How many of you would say, yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, when you serve someone, you think, actually, that was quite satisfying. Yeah. God says, blessed are you if you do them. There's blessing for you. It's not all just a pain serving people. Although there can be an element of that, can't there, at times? Let's be really honest. Um, yeah, it can be a pain, but actually God says, no, there's blessing involved too. 
I don't believe this is a harsh demand from a demanding God. This is a God who wants to lead you into a place where you will prosper. How will you do well spiritually? Well, go serve. How will you grow up in Christ? Well, go serve. How will you become mature and not self-centered? Go serve. Go serve. It's a place of blessing. It is a place where Christians grow up into the image of Christ. Because that's what's in his heart. Let's grow up. Let's serve. Let's serve. Not because we have to. No, because we love you. And we want to be like you. Yeah. Just got some questions for you just to finish things off. And you might just want to discuss these. I haven't written them down, but um, uh, I haven't got them on a slide, I mean. How about this? Are you a servant that serves or a son or a daughter that serves? Which one are you? Let me ask you a question. Why do you serve? Do you do it for recognition and affirmation from people or for a reward from God? And please, this one is gentle, okay? I don't mean this to sound harsh. So please receive this gently. If you aren't serving, why aren't you? Because it's a place of blessing. It's my job to encourage you to mature in Christ. Therefore, it's my job to say, hey, go serve. Because that's where you'll grow. And then I haven't touched on this, but I'd just like you to be thinking about this. What is the difference between good works and dead works. Bible makes reference to both of those. Haven't had time to look at the difference. But why don't you go and study that? What's the difference between good works and dead works? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your amazing word. Lord, sometimes it shocks us, sometimes it horrifies us, sometimes it makes us laugh, sometimes it just brings just such deep joy. But Father, I thank you for your word that it is true and faithful and it will help us to grow up as we take it seriously. So Father, I present this whole thing of serving and service to you. I ask you that more and more, Lord, the, 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 the heart of this church will be to be servants. A servant-hearted people, sons and daughters who serve. I pray for that, Lord. Help us not to get wrong identity out of serving. Lord Jesus, we want to be yours. Holy Spirit, would you come freshly on us? I pray, Father, for those who don't know how to serve. I ask you there would be a fresh initiative in their life as a result of this morning to serve. Father, both in the church and outside the church as well. Holy Spirit, would you come make us more like Jesus? Help us to have his heart in this matter, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.